Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Hello and welcome to Brown People, the show where I talk exclusively to people of colour, basically to people that look a little bit like me. My name is Royce Brown. My guest today is Calvin Robinson, a face on GB News. He was born and raised in the East Midlands. He is a man of the clock and has strident views on liberalism and he rails against the modern metropolitan elitism, which he says is sweeping Britain. Social justice warriors, political race theory, uh, just some of the things which he doesn't like, and we're going to talk to him about those today. But tell me what he does like Brexit and a traditional reading of the Bible. Dorian Lawrence has said the latest government commission report into racial disparity pushes the racism fight back 20 years. Well, first of all, you know, the report pulls apart many, many racial disparities that are still prevalent in our society. It absolutely acknowledges that racism is still an issue that needs to be tackled and needs to be addressed. Cancel culture is a toxic weapon used by the woke mob to cancel free speech. You're very angry. I'm not angry at all, very disappointed, actually very suspicious. So I, I, that says there's no evidence of these drag queens sexualizing children whatsoever. I must admit, I'm, I'm somewhat fascinated by your story. But first up, what I should say, Thank you and welcome for coming on to the show. Um, how are you today? Mr. Brown, I'm very well, thank you. And uh, thank you for the invitation. It's lovely to be... I hate that the name of the show cracks me up because obviously it's your surname, but also it's just Brown People. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know what? I can't take any credit for it. It foisted on me. And whenever I say, say to people, Brown People, they always kind of smile and say, I've got it. It seems to work. When growing up in the East Midlands, were there many other Brown people? Uh, not that many, actually increasingly so while I was growing up but you know my dad's family were pretty much the first black family in the town one of the first if not the first the Midlands is still well very different to London let's say Mansfield where I grew up it's, it's a fairly big town as far as towns go but living in a town is obviously very different to living in a city and everyone knows your business everyone knows each other so this skin color played less of a role in my early childhood because I grew up around people that I kind of knew and that knew me as me. But then as you move around, that does become a bit of an issue. Um, so it was, it's very, it was very, very different to when I came to London. A traditional reading of things would be something like this. You grew up in Mansfield, vast majority of people didn't look like you. Some level of racism, alienation. Then you run down to London and see many other people of a similar skin colour. You find your tribe and... You live happily ever after. Which bit of that yeah. uh, didn't work out? All of it did. That's exactly what happened. So is that the end of the interview? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I love that you assumed that it didn't happen, which part didn't happen. So the kids I grew up with, uh, we all just knew each other from, you know, from day one. Mm -hmm. So we knew each other as each other. And then 
uh, around middle school, we moved to a different area to get to the better catchment area for a better school because obviously in this country, schools are a postcode lottery. And my mum wanted me to go to the best school we could within a state school system. And then obviously I was new to those people. So then the novelty of my skin color became an issue. I experienced a fair amount of racism, wasn't pleasant, struggled through it, which gave me one perspective. But then I moved to London, which is very metropolitan, very diverse in the superficial sense, and experienced the other kind of racism. See, I, I was growing up, I didn't know what racism, I didn't know that racism worked both ways. I didn't know it could work everywhere. Mm. I, I probably would have agreed with the critical race theory idea that only white people could be racist and that kind of thing until I came to a city and realized that actually everyone's racist. Everyone can be racist and everyone can certainly become the victim of racism and everyone can certainly perpetrate it. Up in Mansfield, I was one of the few ethnic minority people. So you could say that ethnic minority people stuck together to some degree, although I'm not saying we're racially segregated, but you know what I mean. Whereas in London, I learned that black people are racist to other black people. That was a novelty to me. There's a whole like a, a scale of skin color and the darker you are, the more you suffer racism mm. compared to what we what was known as lighties or light skin. And that was never a thing for me. I just thought, you know, black people are black people and black people will treat each other just as a brother and sister. I didn't actually realize how bad it could get. And then for me as a mixed race person coming down, like I'd, already, I'd always assumed all of my life that I was black. I didn't realize that, that mixed race was different to black until black people started telling me, actually, no, you're not black. And I was like, oh, okay. So you don't want me as part of this tribe then? Well, interesting. Is, is it that people don't want you, but people see there is a, a nuanced difference? And then, are you, but you are completely right. It's when people say things like the black community, I'm like, that's pretty diverse. Like within the UK, you fundamentally have two big tribes, let alone three. You have people of mixed heritage like you, but then you have, are you of Caribbean origin or are you of African origin? And there's a big difference between the two. Yeah, oh, massively, yeah, yeah. And, and that massively plays out in representative politics. If you look at the people, uh, the black folks who are in the Tory government, almost exclusively of African origin. It's people of Caribbean origin people who are uh, on the other side of the aisle, so to speak. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's cultural. I think it's not racial, it's cultural. Mm. And that, that's what the fundamental problem is, actually. And we, we often look at the surface level and think it's about black and white. It's not about black and white, it's about culture. And, you know, my, my time in school showed me this massively because black African kids are, are doing really, really well. They're exceeding pretty much every other demographic. They're getting better results, better chance of getting into university, all of that stuff. But black Caribbean kids are near the bottom of the league tables. You know, they're on the same level as white working class British kids. The only people doing worse are Romani gypsies, which showed me that actually. People of Pakistani and Bangladesh origin as well. But yeah. And people often say, oh, education system's racist. I'm like, okay, is it racist? Because I don't know many people that are racist that are oh, treat black Caribbean people one way and black African people another way, other than black people, right? So, you know, black Caribbeans treat Africans a certain way and Africans treat Caribbeans a certain way. But white, white racist or any other racist sees a black person. If they're a racist towards black people, they're racist towards black people. They will not differentiate. I've not met one that would differentiate in that way. Um, so it shows me that actually it's cultural. When I've digged into this, I found that Africans tend to, I'm generalizing here, tend to still have small C conservative values of social mobility, aspiration. Like you will work hard. You will make something of your life. You will make a success of your life. Right, because they are newer immigrants, generally speaking. 
Caribbean people, the reason that Caribbean people are on the same level in the league tables as white working class British people is because they've been here longer and they've socially integrated. And so they have exactly the same social issues as white working class Brits. It's that it's the it's the class system that is dividing people at the moment. But, but then what made you so different? Because you managed to uh, throw off those cultural shackles, so to speak. Well, I suppose that's any generalization. It's, you, you can either go along with it or you can break away from it. And you, you mentioned like, did I find a tribe? I did. So in university, I had black friends, Chinese friends, white friends. My my friendship group was was very mixed because we centered around the things that unite us. And it wasn't our skin color. It was other things. So I think it was important for me not to get nailed down by my skin color and focus on things that either unite me with other people or give me a way to uh, see beyond my skin color because it's, I honestly do think it's one of the least interesting things about me. And it's something that I can't change and mm. I didn't choose. So it's neither good nor bad. It just is. When I look at some of your pronouncements, um, watch you on YouTube, I think it was at the Oxford Debate in Society. Uh, well, well done, sir. Um, Thank you. Thank you. You seem to be very black and white. And that's not at all a pun. Not at all a pun. I realized as soon as I was saying it. And you've worked in technology. Now, it's, it's a fascinating story that you have. You worked in technology. People who are kind of coders, et cetera, and, and, and understand technology generally are of that kind of right libertarian credo and do see the world in very much binary, it's like ones and zeros. You can fix anything kind of by technology. And do you think that that's actually helped inform your mindset, that it's either one thing or another? No, no, I don't. So I'm not a libertarian, and I don't see the world in binary. Some issues are black and white, but most issues have nuance to them. I don't subscribe to most of those things you just said. I just think the thing that gets people stuck, right, when we're, t- when we're talking about colour is when we're fixated on it. And what I mean by that is quite often within this so-called black community that you mentioned, black people will keep black people down. And what I mean by that is people who subscribe to, whether they believe in critical race theory or even know about critical race theory, the people sub- that subscribe to that kind of way of thinking that will say certain things are whiteness and certain things are blackness often put good things in the box of whiteness and bad things in the box of blackness. Now, I think that's quite derogatory because I think any individual can, for example, keep time. Any individual can speak properly. Any individual can can learn well, right? These are all things that anyone can do if they, if they set their mind to them. They're not things that only white people can do and black people can't do. However, the moment you do these things, you'll find white people saying, you know, you're breaking free from your class, you're, you're a race traitor or something. And then you find black people saying, actually, no, yeah, you are a race traitor. You're not perpetuating blackness. And it's like, okay, so you want me to be late. You want me to uh, speak incorrectly. You, you don't want me to succeed. You're like, why is success something that black people can't achieve? And this comes from the white racist as well as the black. I'd, I'd agree with some elements. I think there is definitely yeah. a be your authentic self, okay, which can lead people to be sloppy, professionally but also it leads people to talk about their own experience without listening to other people's experience because i'm just being authentic this is just me type of thing mm-hmm. which then does go and uh, separate us but i would slightly question whether in 2023 you cannot be black and speak in received british and people wouldn't but give you a double take there is a question about code switching to be able to talk about rice and peas and Yemen, but be, I think that's slightly behind us. I, I really do. Uh, but you know what? We don't have to continually talk about race. 
I know, I know it's called brown people, but <laughs> but uh, it's just people that come onto my podcast. I, but I'm fascinated as to how your right strident right wing views actually were formed, and okay. and and how you might think that they inform how people deal with you. So um, when did you get this calling uh, to be uh, to back to the other side, so to speak? Oh, okay. So I don't think my views are strident right wing. I think my views are small C conservative, which is what the vast majority of people in this country are. But when uh, you say small C conservative, watching that YouTube video with you yeah. at Oxford, nah. which one was? Well, that? you 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 were taking a very traditional, literal view of, of the Bible and about um, views around homosexuality. What, wherever the Overton yeah. window actually is, and whether it is moved and yeah. swung away from people that have those views, and whether it should have, it, it has. And and for you to say what you said then doesn't put you in a kind of one nation cuddly Tory view. You know, you are tub thumping, fire and brimstone. Uh, I I disagree. I think I think this this the large C Conservative Party has gone majorly liberal and. Our metropolitan areas, our, our major cities and our politicians and our mainstream media has gone quite liberal, which is why people often confuse it with being left-wing, but it's not. It is liberal. It's not right or left, it's liberal. And my views are small-c conservative, and they, I get my views from my faith. My faith forms my views, whether it's my politics or my theology or whatever, my worldview. That's where I try to take it from, because that's the whole point of being a Christian. It's like a guidebook on how to live a good life. If I can't see the, and let's say the humanity in that statement, that is because I've been somewhat brainwashed uh, by liberalism. From which, which statement would you say lacks Well, humanity? you said that the Bible is really clear, marriages between a, a man and a woman, um, mm. you know. And, okay, and so pause on that one. Go on. Pause on that one. That's a good place to start. So marriages between a man and a woman, like... If anyone finds that offensive, or that jars anyone in any way, that tells me that that they've gone so far in in the lot. Because up until like five minutes ago, that was perceived normal across pretty much all of the world. That's what marriage was. It's the, the the lifelong union between one man and one woman. It's heterosexual. It's monogamous, and it's for the purposes of procreation. It's for starting a family. It's for worshiping God. You can take the religious angle out of it if you want, but that's what marriage was. And now. As of the last few years, it's become something that oh, it's anyone can do it. But but why? That's the thing that's changed. So my my belief hasn't changed, and the fundamental Christian Christian view that's been around for two thousand years, the Jewish view, view that's been around for four to six thousand years, like that hasn't changed. Can we not look at some of the the tenets of the Bible and say that the Bible was written, whether it is the New Testament, which is let's say two thousand years ago, right? Or as you said, the Torah, the Talmud, whatever, which is going to be older than that. That though yeah. these documents were written in their time, but they have a deeper truth. The Bible condones slavery. It doesn't advocate that we go out and, and no, enslave people. No, no, no. But it takes it as a given that slavery exists. It does, but it doesn't say go out and enslave, right? And we would not take that as a given today. We see that as abhorrent. No, slavery does exist, but. No, but we see it as a abhorrent, as opposed to yeah. a state of being. The Bible says yeah. that slavery is a state of being, in effect. Okay, so 
I could turn around and say pre-nova living um, tacitly um, is condoning something which is abhorrent in it's been abhorrent for the last 200 years throughout the world to misunderstand it because that's not what it's about the Bible is a message to say to move beyond that beyond mm. the world because the world is corrupt and fallen and broken and to move towards something good and holy and it teaches us, us that in Acts and Galatians when it says there is neither Jew nor Greek because we're all one in Christ it says move away from these boundaries that you've created for yourselves and move towards your unity in God that's what we're supposed to do it's not, it's not saying continuous slavery it's saying slavery exists and it's a bad thing we shouldn't be doing it and it's the same thing with you know, you, you've, you've skipped past the marriage thing, but straight away, when I've said that marriage is between one man and one woman, you're seeing a judgment call on, on a relationship that's not just a man and a woman. So you're inserting something into it that I... No, no, no. I, I was making a more fundamental point, is that the document which looks at the history of the Jewish people out of captivity was written for a people, and it was written within the context of the time. I was specific cultural and societal mores and I don't see that why 2000, 4000, how many years ago later, we can't look at the, the tenets of forgiveness love and acceptance and look at that as opposed to some of the specific I'll, things I'll tell you because what, because Jesus didn't say mm -hmm. make, up, make it up as you go along, he didn't say find a way to be forgiving and loveful he said this is the way, he said he is the way, the truth and the life and he came at a certain time on purpose and he gave us that context on purpose. He didn't say, this is for now, but in the future, you do your own thing. He said, this is the way. But why is it that we kosher food? That there was a change with, between that in the Bible. At one point, there's certain things which were seen as being unclean. And then... Yeah. But he addressed that. We haven't changed that since he came. He changed that. He changed the law. He came to fulfill the law. So he didn't say, after me, go and make things up, because that would make gods of ourselves. If we say, actually, I think we have a better way of looking at love now than what, than what we did when the Bible was around. Because what that's saying is, the Bible is not the word of God. It's saying Jesus Christ is not the word of God. It's saying, I am better than God. I know better than God. I can make it up, because what he said does, is no longer relevant to me in my modern day of life. That's idolatry. So your reading of the Bible, is that the reason why you left the Church of England? Uh... uh not, the, not because of my reading of the Bible, because of the direction the Church of England is going away from the Bible. It's a great shame to see, you know, the the institution has been taken over by so many liberals. You know, it's just good old-fashioned entryism. And what started a few years ago is, has rapidly escalated, and now we're seeing the point that the Church is entering apostasy, and it's a great shame. It's a sadness. I might be on the pale. I'm one of those liberals. Well, it depends on what you mean. Do you believe that we should do away with God's word and make it up as we go along? I think God's word is, is, is pretty cool, to be honest with you. I, I think that um, love, forgiveness, charity, etc. So, so define love. Brums, who's interviewing who here? Love, for me, love is a deep acceptance. So maybe I said the same okay. thing twice. I said the same thing twice. So that's the problem. You're, you're, you're defining love yourself. That's not how God defines love. So that's you making up your own religion, essentially. Love isn't an acceptance at all. Well, God, I, I, love's I'm, I'm not making up a religion here. It's just it's just a way of living. And, uh, and, no, and that, You are, because you're making up your own values, right? God said that love is sacrificial. Love is willing the good of the other. You know, he loves us despite our sins. He doesn't affirm them. He doesn't accept them. Not, not at all. Well, I, I would say, though, that for me, love in that way and being slightly sacrificial 
is the fact that my view of politics and society is very much communitarian as opposed to individualistic and we have a responsibility yeah, to the whole so so hence before you and i got onto onto the mic here well we were on mic just i didn't hit record uh, i talked about a homeless issue in, in san francisco and and that profoundly disturbs me and that is because i believe in community uh, and i am living in a country which is slightly skewed the other side, which believes in individuality. Yeah. But it's not good. Collectivism is not good and individualism is not good. The Christian faith teaches us communitarianism in the middle. I moved to San Francisco in 2011. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I thought the richest people in the world are here and some of the poorest people in the world are here. Like I've not seen as much poverty in the Western world as I've seen in San Francisco. It's on every single street corner. Like how can you have such a dichotomy? It doesn't make any sense. People generally don't seem to care. And it was too much. I couldn't bear it. What uh, the, the liberal Californians in San Francisco need is a good dose of, of the Bible and some right-wing politics. Because you can, you can be left-wing communitarian. You can be an you know, old-fashioned socialist or, or a modern-day conservative. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's the willing the good of the other. It's that charity. And you're right, it is the same word, charity, is the, the biblical word for love it's because it is about self-giving it's it's not about what we receive and it's not about acceptance or of or of affirmation or inclusivity um so we're both communitarians right we're both midlanders we have loads of things in common you and i we've both lived in london san francisco uh but we view the world uh really differently where does communitarianism stop for you for me I see it going up and down the food chain, so to speak, uh, politically. I really do believe that uh, Britain is stronger by having close links with its neighbours. So I'm all for the European Union. As a student of history, I understood guiding reason for that union was uh, because of world wars. You know, we needed to... No, it wasn't. It was one of the strong guiding ethoses. Ethos no, in the 19. You talk about NATO or the UN. You could talk about those kind of things being a result of that and that bond. But the EU started out as a trade yeah. group, right? It was coal and steel. With, yeah, it was nothing to do with creating bonds or anything like that. It was just about money. It was capitalism, and it's it's been the creeping effect of putting politics into it over the years that actually it's become a federalized system where each state is subservient to the greater which is essentially the United States of Europe, like the countries that are properly invested in the EU at this point are no longer sovereign nations. They don't get to... Well, that, well that, to but, but, that's, but that's not true, though, is it? You know, you can't tell me that no, Germany is not a sovereign nation. German people don't get to elect the representatives that are creating the laws in their country. That's the issue. And for all the countries, and especially there's a hierarchy, so Germany gets a lot more independence and say and sovereignty than countries such as Greece. And that, again, is, you know, you could almost call that colonialism because what's happening there is that the poorer country is having to go with the will of the richer country. Now we are disagreeing. And maybe this is now this is a good podcast because, you know, what people want is a good intellectual uh, <laughs> disagreement. Europe's fantastic. Love Europe. I go there all the time. I just don't want to what, what, be a part of the United States. Okay. Europe. All right. At what point are we going to see the benefits of Brexit? We already have. What's that? 
So it's, this is the thing. Slow, so slow economy, uh, you know, in terms of growth at the G20. Yeah. Nothing at all to do with the fact that we've now put a trading uh, tariff uh, between ourselves and our largest trading partner. That is a difference in worldviews right there. So when you look for a result of Brexit, you're looking for an economic boost, which there may be or there may not be. That isn't why I voted for Brexit. I didn't expect an economic boost. thought actually a downward spiral for a while, actually, as a result. But you know, no, but, 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 but no, none of you Brexiteers ever said that, though. We, they yeah, talk, we did. All the time. Not true. All the time. Not true. It is true. Not true. But people hear what they want to hear. So when I, when I fought for Brexit, I fought for it for several reasons. One, control of our borders. Two, national sovereignty. Three, democracy. But like lots of reasons that I've we, already seen the benefits of. But we had we had all of those things, didn't we? And by the way, you know, we had what forty five thousand people come on boats last year. So where's where's the control of our borders? You know what I've never exactly. you know what I never That's never understood. Most EU countries have a rule that yeah, you can come over and work, but if you don't it, within six months, if you don't have work, you've got to go back. So this whole thing about controlling borders, we, we had that within the auspices of the EU. We had a different way of interpreting that. We have a very literalist interpretation of the law. We don't sway from it. This is an example of why we are getting nailed by the ECHR and other countries actually managed to find a way to work around that because other countries bend international law in different ways. That... So we could have had control of our borders, is my case in point. So you've admitted that. No, All right. but we don't. We... And we've had an economic but... downturn. Yeah, of course. Right? So we've made ourselves I'm not poorer. Saying that. poorer. We've given should... away sovereignty. You can't put a price on freedom. We haven't given away sovereignty. We gave away, at least for a period, sovereignty to a constituent part of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. We did. We talked about um, being, um, you know, this big, bold Britain. When actually, for a period, we drew a line up the Irish Sea. Brexiteers are little Englanders. That's derogatory. No, that's not the truth at all. Because you're saying, like, they don't agree with me, so I have to put them down. If that came over as a pejorative, no, to call somebody a little Englander is a pejorative. And I'm sorry. As the host of this podcast, I'm genial... You know, I, I'd like to be welcoming, and I'm really enjoying um, going at it with you with the cut and thrust. Brexit is an English project, isn't it? I dis I disagree. I think I'm a massive unionist. I believe in the union. I don't think Northern Ireland will leave. I don't think Scotland will leave. I don't want them to leave, and I think I'll fight hard to uh, show the positives of being a union together. That's a union I do believe in. The, the EU is a union I did not believe in, and I think we have that democratic right to vote, and we made that decision. And I think for me personally, we're seeing the benefits and we're seeing the results. And that means, yes, we're seeing more immigration. I don't want more immigration. I want caps on immigration. But now it's our responsibility. Now it's our choice to vote for the party that we think will deliver something that we want. And it's our politicians that are failing us. It's not politicians in a foreign country that we have no say over. That's the major difference for me. That's where the freedom is. That's where the sovereignty is. What are British values? Christian values. Wait a minute, so American values are British values? I mean, American values came from British values, absolutely. Uh, most of the first states in the United States of America were Christian states, explicitly Christian states. And when the United States was constituted, the idea, well, there was an assumption there that they would be Christian, but free in, in means that anyone can celebrate any religion they choose to and worship any religion they choose to. Uh, so they have that individual individual freedom, but there is always has always been the assumption there that there is a Christian God, and it's implicit throughout all of their laws and regulations. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. See, for me, British values are all about kind of tolerance. One of the things which I, I always kind of remark on when I bring people to London for the first time, friends yeah. or, or whatever, come to London for the first time and I'll drive around and give them a little bit of a tour. They're always yeah. amazed as to how beautiful London actually truly is. Um, it's, it's, it's a great place. And it's diversity. However you want to call diversity, London has it in spades. Mm. But if you then just peel those superficial things away and, and you look at the amount of political thinkers, refugees, freedom fighters, that in the 19th century, early 20th century, came to London. That's because of British tolerance. Right, so to the word tolerance is quite dangerous there, but I'll get into that. But this this isn't British values, this is Blairism, right? This is the multicultural project, no. and that's very different to British Look, values. Blair's very, 1997, very... I'm talking about yeah. the fact that uh, Louis Kossuth, a uh, Hungarian freedom fighter and patriot, came in the mid-19th century. Why, d why did he come here? Very good question. But... I mean, I don't know that history, so maybe you can tell me. My point is that tolerance is a British value in the in the terms of tolerance of people of different faiths than not. That's a key value, but it's a very specific type of tolerance. Mm. And we've got we've got that you know those three values that Michael Gove had to dig up because they had to try and describe it. But I don't think British values are tangible in that way. It doesn't make much sense to us to to pin it down in a way that you know the U.S. has a written constitution. We don't. We're we're not that kind of nation. But if you say tolerance is a value, just tolerance on itself. Would you tolerate Hitler? Would you tolerate a paedophile? This, this, there's guardrails to tolerance. Do not, don't get me wrong. So how, who draws them and where? They, they're defined by each society generationally, but they have tenants. We take on tenants for, from the past, which bind our worldview and give us our social cohesion. So don't get me wrong, right? Tolerance as I define, and, I, and this is a personal, but I think it's informed by the collective here isn't if you believe that one human being is inherently better than another, right? I'm not tolerant for that. We we do need to sign up some basic tenets so that Hitler's out. Mm. Yeah, my tolerance does come within certain bounds and bounds which uh, allows us all to, um, to sign up to the right for us to practice our own religion, our, our own uh, economic and societal path as long as it doesn't impinge on others and doesn't dehumanise others. And I think... Well, that that's the problem, because at the moment, it does seem to be that the vocal minorities see tolerance as the core British value, but it's tolerance of moder modernity. It's not tolerance of our of our heritage. And to put that into an example, if someone believes that they can change gender, that belief should be tolerated. If someone doesn't believe that, that belief is not tolerated. This wouldn't mean that you are beyond the pale. I might think that you're wrong, but I will still um, 
converse with you, intrigue with you, and I wouldn't say that you are beyond the pale because I because to to that to that point, um, someone in, if I looked at what happened in Qatar at, at the World Cup, the fact that many liberal institutions were castigating Qatar for um, let's put its working practices to one side. So if you put its working practices to one side, because I think that's totally abhorrent, but they are pretty moderate by the standards of the region, but I think they're wrong, okay? And I think the world had every reason to say the way that you treat immigrant workers is wrong. And if ever there was an example of sport at least having an effect on politics, it did there because they changed. They became a little bit more moderate. They said, no, these workers can actually have passports, et cetera, et cetera. No, I mean, you make some good points. We, it, it is a form of colonialism, but it comes from the assumption that we are right and we are better. Mm, that's always absolutely. I, I don't go to countries like Qatar because I don't support their values. I wouldn't want to be there. But if I did go there, I would be expected to live within their values. And that means, you know, dressing modestly and not being a log, a lout and, you know, drunk in public and all those kinds of things. But we would see that as backwards in this country. And I'm I'm thinking, well, is it? Why is that backwards? What is backwards about not being drunk in public? What is backwards about dressing modestly? Actually, they have some things right as well as having lots of things wrong. Uh, so they should be left to create their own value system just as we should be left to create ours. But the problem is we don't do that anymore. We don't say these are our values. If you come into Britain, subscribe to our values. You say, yeah, come to our country, bring your own values, and we'll take on board your values. But isn't that an inherent strength uh, of Britain that we know no, that it's our weakness, really? Yeah, because unless you subscribe, unless you say, unless you identify your values and say these are what this is what we believe here, you're all welcome. You can be as welcome as you want. You can say, you know, have no borders, whatever. Anyone can come here if you want to. That's not something I believe in. But if you want to do, however, when you come here. You, you become British, you become one of those, that's great. But these are British values. Unless you say what British values are in the way that, uh, it, whether it's tangible or not, and you expect people to take them on board, unless you do that, you lose them. You know, if I was go to go and live in Japan, I'd be expected to bow when I see people in a show of shaking hands. I'd be able to, expected to dress a certain way and, and speak Japanese, right? If I, if people, people come to Britain... People come to Britain and we, uh, we expect them to, to drink tea. Isn't that the same thing? We don't expect them to drink tea at all, no. Of course we don't. There's no expectation there. Got to drive on the left side of the road. Wind about the BBC. Wales went to shake someone's hand the other day, and he refused to shake her hand because it's not in his culture. Like it is in our culture to shake people's hand. If I was in Japan, I'd nod. If, if I'm in England, I'll shake a hand. Like there are certain societal norms that we would expect in our culture to be polite and to be, you know, for good etiquette. Whinging about the BBC can't get more British than that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. You like to have a bit of a pop at the BBC, don't you? I do, I do. Only because I care about it, and I think it's gone downhill tremendously. It used to be our soft power. You know, the BBC World Service is still pretty good, relatively speaking, but mainstream BBC content is just so... Well, it's woke, to use the word. You know, it's, it's lecturing the British people on how they should think and what they should think is from that metropolitan liberal elite perspective. It's like, why can't you just produce good entertainment or good... Uh, educational services. Why do you have to lecture and sneer? It's, who wants that? I'll tell you one thing I always noticed about the time when I used to go to BBC. A good friend of mine, uh, a presenter there, used to go for and meet her. In London, you see a lot of people of colour on the reception desk. You then work into the newsroom 
And I'm not saying you don't see any any people of color, but it's vastly different. Vastly different. What you do on the screen, people of color are massively overrepresented on the screen. I think we make up what fourteen percent of the population and over twenty five percent of on screen talent. Well, it's a little bit higher now that last census. It's about eighteen percent. And and the, and the truth of the matter is, out of that eighteen percent of Brits who are who are non white, ninety six percent of them live in England. So uh, you know you can go to Scotland, Northern Ireland. You know you're not seeing a person of colour in Northern Ireland. You know it's, it's, it's just, they just don't exist. They're all in England. What else should we talk about before we go? I've I've enjoyed this. This has been this has been great. <laughs> yes, we, I mean I think you know we found a lot of common ground, and that's what's important. In that we can disagree on loads of things, but still find loads of things in common, and that's what's becoming a rarity. You know we mentioned before we came on air that people are living in their tribes now. I think that's quite sad because. Diversity for me is experiencing people of different beliefs and different opinions. It's not about superficial diversity of how we look. It's about how we feel and what we think. And we used to live in communities with people that may be older or younger than us or different sex, but also different backgrounds and think different things and have different perspectives. And we don't operate in our communities anymore. We create our own communities. We silo ourselves off. And I find that all quite sad. Yeah, but... We are singing for the same hymn sheet now, which is uh, somewhat apropos with my next question, which is, uh, which is your most successful pulpit? Is it GB News or is it uh, the pulpit in the church? Well, they have different success criteria. Uh, well, I suppose not, maybe, because it's not about audience size. In the, the church is obviously a lot smaller, so I reach fewer people. But it doesn't matter if, if I reach only one person. That could be the target for that day. You know, I am a tool to be used by God to get his word out there it's to, so that people can hear his good news. So it doesn't matter how many people hear his good news as long as it's reaching them, right? So the room could be full of thousands of people and maybe only one person hears it or it only touches one person's heart. That would be a success. On the TV, uh, obviously a much larger audience, but I suppose it, it is quite similar in that I'm not necessarily preaching the gospel on TV, but I'm trying to speak his truths. And maybe I'm not converting people, but only, only Christ can convert people. We lead people to Christ. What I'm trying to do on the TV is give people encouragement to let them know, actually, it is okay to be Christian in a Christian country. It's okay to have small C conservative views, because most of us do. It's okay to be you. And you don't have to be ashamed of that or embarrassed of that. You don't have to let people shut you down because the vocal minority, the, the, the woke mob will try to cancel you, but don't accept it. I'm not trying to cancel you. I'm just glad you're my... Well, you know, I think... That's interesting, because I didn't say you. I said the woke mob. Yeah, no, but he's, but he's woke. Just as I said Little Englander, and then I stepped back, uh, appreciating yeah. that that is a pejorative, that that's never yeah. said as a way to elevate, to call somebody Little Englander. Yeah. When people say woke, and definitely put the word mob, you know, you, you, you're denigrating um, a, a school school of thought. You know, yeah. Fun, 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 fundamentally, I, I, would, I would sign up to that. As somebody who loves history, I know that history is an art, not a science. There are some things which uh, we can take as an absolute. What was the day of the Battle of Hastings? 1066. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, what uh, what were the effects of that Norman invasion? Then that's an art. You can deliver, yeah. you know, and we can have different views on that. And, and for me, when people go, critical race theory, dreadful, right? I go, how bad is it when, as somebody who loves history, I know that there is more than one view and take on history. And for me, 
all this is doing is saying there's another way of viewing how other peoples have seen events. Now, you, mm. can, you can take that on board. You can say that it's more important than, tr than the traditional view of history that we've been taught. I think the two things can sit and run a parallel with each other. And th th there isn't really a, a problem just to acknowledge that some people, some countries have a different view of the sequence of events. I wouldn't class you as part of that work mob because the work mob are saying, we have a better view now and we don't want to accept any other view. And they will cancel people that do have another view. Look at what's happening with JK Rowling, that kind of thing. Or Professor Kathleen Stock is like, if you do not subscribe to our worldview, we will remove you from your job. We will hound you. We will send death threats. You know, you must believe what I believe because what I believe is better than what you believe. That's not tolerance. The woke mob isn't tolerant. The woke mob is fascist. And they call themselves quite often the anti-fascists. They are, they are scary. But there's, there's a lot of intolerance on, on the other end, isn't there? I, I'm against extremism. If the extremism that, that I preach is actually moderation. And, and tolerance and love and I always give okay. and I always give people at least to start off with the benefit of the doubt yeah that's good charity uh, look at us in violent agreement yet again <laughs> so you can love somebody who's woke oh I mean I was like to say I wouldn't class you as woke but I'm I don't have prop well I do have a problem with the work I was gonna say I don't have a problem with them they have to me but I do have a problem with them because their worldview is one that does not allow for mine I think there should be room, like you've said, for multiple different perspectives. Otherwise, we get into totalitarian neighborhoods. Absolutely. People like you and I, who uh, come from different political traditions, uh, need to keep breaking bread with each other, don't we? We need to keep on, yeah. keep on a tool. Modeling best practice. A absolutely. Absolutely. We, we can agree on this. So far, there's been no economic upside to Brexit. We've got more immigration than we have ever had before. We have skill shortages in our key industries because um, highly skilled Europeans have gone away. At least we can agree that so far, apart from a fuzzy feeling because we've got uh, the right coloured passports, Brexit, the benefits yeah, of Brexit haven't been realised yet. At least we can agree on... Symptomatic. Let, let's just agree on that because we've agreed on just about everything else. Or at least Let, we've... we've with a great it is a worldview as well it is a worldview like you either look at it from a lever or a remainer perspective mm -hmm. now when you say we've got a skills shortage what i see there is a problem that needs solving and that we need to train up more british workers we need to get more people into work we need to help people in different ways i don't think oh we need to open the borders so i don't see the problem in the same way that you see it mm. if we're going to train up british workers and i i agree with that by the way it takes time whereas we made a decision which gave us at least, and at best, a short-term deficit industrially, economically. Hey, if that's the price to pay for freedom, I'm happy to pay. Goodness. You sound like an American. You don't even sound like a Brit. That's such a thing an American would say. It's the price for freedom. It's not just Americans that care about freedom. No, no, no. But, but phrased in that way, if, if that's the price of freedom. And then they, they start, you know, rooting in a tooth and shooting off their guns. And there's... Yeehaw. And, they, you know, there's 20,000 of them that die at the wrong end of a gun annually. And you'll say, you know, in Britain, it's about like 200. And they'll say, but if that's the price of freedom. And I go, but are you saying that us Brits are not free? Yeah, we are less free than they. Wait on a minute. We'll just have Brexit. You should be as happy as Larry. We're as free as we can ever be. I'm happy we Brexit, but yeah. Americans are freer. Because they have guns? And their Second and First Amendments, absolutely. Wait, 
So you want us to have the US Second Amendment so we can have guns? I'm not saying I want us to have it. I'm saying they are freer than we are. Wow. But what about responsibilities? We talked about communitarianism. And I thought we agreed on that, that you have a social responsibility. If you're going to have, Absolutely. if you're going to have in your possession, in your home, a weapon, well, I, it's not just a weapon, it's a, it's a defense mechanism. And it's, yes, they're, they're handled very poorly in America, but Israel handles it a lot better. There are countries that have liberal gun laws that don't have the instances that America has. Calvin, I thought we were getting to a place where we only had hey, one point of disagreement. I've looked, the Bible said, if you own a sword, if you don't own a, if you don't own a sword, sell your clothes and go buy a sword. The Bible tells you that. That was, that was for that day. We don't have swords these days, we have guns. I think it's important in America for a family to own a gun to protect their family. Well, for a fa per father but, to own a gun. But, but I thought you believed in the literal reading of the Bible. So, you know, I don't know. We, 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 we should have said that. I don't believe that there is a literal reading or a, or a metaphorical reading. I believe in the Bible. I don't think you can read it literally or not literally. It's just the Bible. It just is. But it said, if you don't own a, if you don't own a sword, go get a sword, is what you just no, said. That's not saying there aren't allegories. That is not saying that, you know, the vast oh. majority of the Old Testament has. Uh, Myths and legends in it. It's not to say everything is is the same writing style. There are many writing styles in the in the Bible, but Christ's message from "sell your clothes and go buy a sword" can only be taken. Well, how would you take that message? Well, I don't know. You know, give unto Caesar what he Caesar's. In other words, just pay taxes and shut up. That's a different message. No, but, but I'm just saying. You know, we can pick out the little bits which uh, agree with our worldview or not, and no, we should follow the whole thing. Right. There's this, the there, there are a few contradictions in the Bible. There are no contradictions in the Bible. It's infallible. Wow. The whole thing is God breathed. It, it can't contradict itself. Uh, when you invite me on your show, Kelvin <laughs> Robinson, <laughs> we need we need to get London. Uh, end of the month, twenty eighth. Oh, hit me up. We'll do. We can do. We'll do. Uh, Calvin Robinson, thank you for coming on to Brown People. I just love the casual racism of your name, the name of your show. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's, it's not even casual. It, it, it's overt. I mean, it's, it, it's overt. You know, I'm, I'm segregating uh, the people that uh, can and cannot come on to the show. So you'd never have a white person on here. Absolutely, absolutely would. Absolutely would. That, that's the great thing about the title that you can read into it what what you want. These are just people who are who, who are my people who I want to talk with. Yeah, there you good. go. There you go. Right, I'll, I'm going to see you at some point in April. We're, we're going we're gonna to have to continue this ding dong on, on GB News. Uh, Calvin Morrison, <laughs> thank you for coming on to Brown People. You've been a most awesome guest. I really enjoyed speaking to you. And um, also, I like the fact that you kind of admitted that Brexit has not really gone to plan. That is not what I said, but thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.